Today we are in our second part of our Encounters with Jesus series. We are going to be looking at Nicodemus, John chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. So you can go ahead, turn to, type to John chapter 3. We're going to be in verses 1 through 10, looking at these encounters. And so remember, if you will, we're going to get into this in a moment. But just remember that we're looking at all of these snapshots. We want to look at what it's like for Jesus to be interacting with these different people and, and what we learn by looking at that. And I wonder, I'm just thinking about this, I wonder if any of you struggle with the same problem that I have. I'm a pretty impatient movie watcher. I don't know if any of you guys want to just admit to that and raise your hand. I like all of the action scenes, all of the movement. I'm here for all the explosions. And so if I'm in a movie where there's lots of dialogue and kind of the boring stuff, I just kind of want to move, move it along. I don't want, I'm not here for any of that stuff. And because I'm married to a literature teacher, I now know that there's a name for the thing that I don't like. And the name is called the denouement. Have you ever heard of this word before? The denouement is the thing that happens at the end of a movie and it's the wrapping together of all of the plot lines. And you'll know what's happening because it's literally the most boring part of every movie. It's just like, oh, get me out of here, okay? So a couple of years ago, I went to the movie theater by myself, and uh, the movie theater, sorry. I went to the theater by myself to watch Avengers Endgame, and I was, uh, I was there, and I, I, by myself, and uh, I don't know if you know this, but uh, Iron Man dies in, in that movie, okay? That's a spoiler alert, I'm sorry. Uh, I've ruined that, you're all like, oh, I was going to watch it today, you jerk. Sp Iron Man dies, spoiler alert, and after he dies... What starts to happen is like, it feels like the denouement. It feels like we're going in for a landing. They just all start talking. And I thought, okay, I was here for the explosions and all the action. And it seems like it's over. So I just left. I was like, hey, this is boring now, okay? Well, I didn't realize till like weeks later that there's like 40 more minutes to that movie. There's like, there's a lot more to that movie. And I probably should have stuck around, should have stayed for the rest of the movie. Okay, here's the thing. This is what I'm trying to get at. There are some stories that take time to unfold. Some stories take a while to unfold. And you know, we saw this last week. Peter had this encounter with Jesus on a boat and immediately he walked away from everything and he followed Christ, right? There was immediate obedience for Peter, but Nicodemus isn't like Peter. Nicodemus is different. Nicodemus is going to take some time for all of this to sink in, for what Jesus has to say to him, for it to sink in, for it to make sense. You know, even if your personal encounter with Jesus is a lot more like Peter's than it is Nicodemus, I think that we all have something to learn, a way to grow as we listen in on, as John tells us about this encounter that Nicodemus has with Jesus. So let's go ahead and look at it. We're going to start, we're in John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. You're going to want to keep your Bible open again the whole time. I'm going to be going back and forth, so keep your Bible open. I'm going to read to us verses 1 to 2, okay? It says this, there was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can perform these signs you do unless God were with him. You know, in the book of John, nighttime isn't just a time stamp. 
Nighttime has spiritual implications. You're starting in chapter 1 of the book of John. We see that John uses light and darkness as a way of kind of having a spiritual thermometer. Of telling you there's a little bit more happening underneath the surface. And John tells us that Nicodemus came at night. But he's also telling, when he tells us he's coming at night, he's not telling us just that he came in the evening. He's telling us that this, came, this guy came at dark and he's in the dark, okay? He came at nighttime and he's got darkness all over him. But also he's telling us something even a little deeper than that. I think he's trying to tell us that Nicodemus came at night because he was fearful. He wanted an incognito um, meeting with Jesus. And just think for a moment about all the things that we know about Nicodemus. You know, he was a Pharisee, right? It says that he was a ruler of Israel, ruler of the Jews. Later on, Jesus is going is to say to him that you're a teacher of Israel. So all of these things kind of tell us that he was a part of this group of people that did not like Jesus. You just think about all the things that we know. If you know your Bible, all the things that we know about the Pharisees. Every time they have an encounter with Jesus, they walk away enraged and seething, right? So their power seems to be shrinking. Jesus' power, it seems to be growing. And it's this group of people that actually plot to kill Jesus, we know. So they would not have been thrilled to find out that Nicodemus was meeting with Jesus. You know, you and I kind of know what this is like, right? We, we've all been in a place where we have meetings that we would like to not announce maybe with a loudspeaker. Even if something underhanded isn't happening, we understand what, what this is like. You know, almost six years ago, Danielle and I came to visit Brook Hills and Birmingham. And we were considering, you know, you were considering me. And I was considering what it would be like to come here. Danielle and I were trying to consider this. And out of love for you out of love for other people that, that knew us and all of the question marks that we had about coming here, we tried to keep this visit just a little bit quiet. Basically, we were just trying not to Facebook Live this whole thing, okay? That's what it was going on. So we came, we were trying to be a little bit quiet, and we sat down for a meeting at Big Bad Breakfast, and as we sat down for this meeting, we heard from somewhere else in Big Bad Breakfast somebody say, Daniel and Danielle Renstrom. And we looked and turned around, and literally the only person that we knew at Brook Hills and in Birmingham just happened to be at Big Bad Breakfast that day, and our, and our cover was blown, right? Now, here's the thing. Nicodemus knew that association with Jesus wouldn't just be awkward. It, ju it wouldn't just lead to this kind of weird conversation, an inconvenient conversation. Nicodemus was fearful because he knew that association with Jesus could mean the loss of everything he valued in life. It could be the loss of everything. Nicodemus counted the cost, he had done the math, and all he could muster was this incognito meeting with Jesus. And I, and I wonder if some of you have an incognito association with Jesus? Like, would it shock your friends at school? Would it shock your, your co-workers, your neighbors, your gym partner, your tennis buddy, your fishing buddy? Would it, would it shock your, your golfing buddy, or your video gaming friends? Would it, would it shock your running friends and your book club friends? Would it shock all of those people if they found out that you go to church a lot? And that you believe the whole Bible, like all of the Bible. 
I want us to think about something that Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.8. I'm going to put it up on the screen here in just a moment. You know, Paul is concerned that Timothy is going to be tempted to be ashamed. I want to read you what he says to Timothy. He says this, so don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me as prisoner. Instead, share in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God. You know, you and I are most tempted to be ashamed when we think that we have a lot to lose. We're most tempted to be ashamed when we feel like we have a lot to lose. You know, you just think about maybe the job promotion that you're up for. Tempted, you think, I might lose that. You finally have a chance to become partner. You finally have a chance to get tenure. You're finally invited into this friend group that you've been longing to be a part of for a long time. You're tempted to be fearful and ashamed because you don't want to lose that. Friends, Paul is saying to Timothy, I know it's unattractive to be associated with me, but don't be ashamed of me. The message of the gospel, look at what he says. He says, get courage and rely on the power of God. I want us to look, though, a little bit more closely at what it says in verse 2, because Nicodemus isn't just fearful of being associated with Jesus. Nicodemus has an even bigger problem. Nicodemus doesn't know the real Jesus. Let's look at what it says here. And our our second fill-in-the-blank is an incomplete belief. An incomplete belief. Look at what it says in verse 2. He says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. You can see in these verses, if you look back down it, you can see in these verses that Nicodemus is trying to put together what's so unique about Jesus. He's drawn to him. He wants to talk to him. He wants to be there. He thinks that what he's saying is intriguing. But even if Nicodemus knows true things about Jesus, his knowledge is incomplete. Yeah, I've counted up four things. Let's look back at your text here. I've counted up four things that I think Nicodemus says about Jesus as he's looking at him, as he's trying to figure out what's unique about him. The first one is he says he calls him rabbi. Do you see that there? Now that was, for Nicodemus, a very generous title to give to Jesus. Jesus hadn't earned that. He didn't go to rabbi school, so he had not earned that title. So even for Nicodemus to say that to him, it's a very respectful, generous thing for him to say to Jesus. Secondly, though, you look at this. He calls him teacher. You know, what, what Jesus says, what he teaches, what he preaches, it was compelling. It was convincing to Nicodemus. It was commanding. He, he felt like this is different. There's something different happening here. Third, look at what it says. He says, you come from God. You actually come from God. Now, this is a pretty amazing thing because later on in John chapter 8, the Pharisees are going to come to Jesus and they're going to say something very different. They're going to say, you have a demon. You're demon possessed. But right now, Nicodemus is looking at him and he's saying, you come from God. Again, just a very charitable thing for Nicodemus to say to Jesus. And then the fourth one is, look at this. He says, you can perform signs. You can perform signs. He's saying no one could perform these signs unless God is with them. Nicodemus is saying these things are real. The miracles are real. It might have been that Nicodemus actually saw them with his own eyes. He's being intellectually honest enough to say, 
I think what I'm looking at is real. So here's the remarkable thing. This is what's so remarkable about this interaction with Jesus. Jesus isn't interested in these polite, glad-handing compliments that Nicodemus has to give him. He's going to interrupt him in just a minute. We're going to see this in just a moment. He's going to interrupt him because of something that we're going to read in a moment from John chapter 2. Right before we get to our text, John chapter 2, verse 23, it's going to be up on the screen. Listen to what Jesus, the reason Jesus interrupts him because he knows something about what's going on. He says this, while he was in Jerusalem during the Passover festival, many believed in his name, that's Jesus, when they saw the signs he was doing. Jesus, however, would not entrust himself to them since he knew them all. Keep looking at your Bible there. That word that you have translated as entrust in your Bible, it's the same word that, God, that John uses a little bit earlier for believe. They believed in him, and then it says later that Jesus wouldn't entrust himself to them. And so what you could say, literally could say about this text is, Jesus didn't believe their believing. Jesus would not believe in their believing. This is why. He knew it was shallow. He knew it didn't go down all the way. It didn't go down deep enough. That's what he knew. If you've ever bought a ticket to a concert or a game, you know that when you jump online, the first thing that you're looking for is this thing. Is this real? Is there an authentication guarantee for the ticket that I'm buying? If you decide to drive up to Atlanta for a Hawks game or fly to New York to go see the Lion King, the ticketing agent is not going to say to you, how much did you spend on this ticket, (laughs) ma'am? How much did you spend on this? What they want to know is, is it real? Is it authentic? Friends, sadly, the things that Nicodemus was saying to Jesus, while they were true, did not necessarily describe real believing. Nicodemus doesn't have authentic faith, at least right now. You know, this tells us something very important that all of us need to just think about and consider for a moment, okay? It tells us that being amazed by signs and miracles isn't the same as really believing. It tells us that just knowing that Jesus is from God isn't the same as really believing. It means loving and regurgitating the sayings of Jesus isn't the same as really believing. It means that just being respectful of Jesus isn't the same as really believing. You know what else that means? This is what we need to take in today. It means that just attending a worship service isn't the same as really believing. It means that just going to a Christian school isn't the same as really believing. It means that going to a Bible study, going to FCA, going to Young Life, raising your hand, walking an aisle, crying at a worship song isn't the same as really believing. Friends, it's not enough to be around spiritual things. What needs to happen is so much deeper, is much deeper than that. And so if it's not those things, if those things aren't enough, then what is? And that's the question we're going to get to in a moment. But before we look at that, before we look at the powerful answer Jesus has to give Nicodemus and us, I want us to look at one more little detail. I want us to look at what we're going to see the next one is. He's dumbfounded by deficit. We're going to look at how difficult it is for Nicodemus to look at this and go, I don't get it. 
You might even be saying that right now. You might be thinking, I don't understand then. What are you talking about? And Nicodemus is having a paradigm shift happening right now. And we get to kind of watch this happen. So we're going to read a pretty big chunk. So keep your Bible open. I'm going to read now from verse 3 all the way through 10. Keep your Bible open or you can look up on the screens because we need to see all of the things that are happening in this interaction. So verse 3. Jesus replied, truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How can anyone be born when he is old, Nicodemus asked him. Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? Jesus answered, truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of flesh is flesh, and whatever is born, is born of spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I told you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can these things be, asked Nicodemus. Verse 10, look at this. Are you a teacher of Israel and you don't know these things, Jesus replied. Now I wonder, kind of keep your head back there at the Bible for just for a moment. I wonder if you have noticed any of these strange details that are going on in this interaction. Look down first. Okay, first of all, Jesus interrupts. We said this a minute ago. Jesus interrupts all of the pleasantries, all of the compliments, and he just interrupts him and he starts talking to Nicodemus. Do you see that there? So that's a little bit jarring at first, but then I think there's even something a little bit more uh, interesting happening there. Look at how Jesus, or Nicodemus rather, replies to Jesus. He says, how can these things be? Can a, can a 45-year-old, a 55-year-old man get back in the womb? And he ans asks him a pretty literal, even childish question back. And just think about all the things that we know about Nicodemus. He's got to be an intelligent man, right? He's risen through the ranks of being a Pharisee. Jesus calls him a teacher, a ruler to all of the people in Israel. So surely this guy understands what a metaphor is, right? He, under, he, can, he can understand what Jesus is saying. So why is he say then, how can I jump back in the womb, right? I think his pushback is a little bit deeper. It's more than just a physiological question mark. I think that what uh, Nicodemus is saying here is he's asking this question, how could a start over be needed? How could I have to start over again? You know, some people have advantages in life because of where they were born. Some, some of you maybe even were born into incredible wealth. Maybe you had wonderful parents who loved you, cared for you. Some of you have height and athletic ability, and strength, and it was all given to you. But all of us know that those things don't automatically equal success in life, right? I mean, just think about this. Michael Jordan has a bunch of kids, and you probably don't know any of their names, right? So that proves to us those things don't automatically equal success. And Nicodemus, Nicodemus thought, though, that birth is an Israelite, rule-keeping as a Pharisee, surely those were the ways that God would choose who's in and who's out. But now he's listening to Jesus, and Jesus is saying to him, what you have by birth, what you have by opportunity, your status because of all of your religious rule-keeping all of these years, those things aren't a credit to your account, they're actually a deficit. 
And they're a deficit to you because they're keeping you from seeing how God actually works. All of that is keeping, all of those things, they've been keeping you from seeing how God actually works. He's saying to him, the Spirit doesn't save because of someone's credentials. The Spirit doesn't save because of credentials. The Spirit's like a wind. you see that? The Spirit is like the wind. He goes where he's going to want to go. He saves whoever he wants to save. You don't strong arm the Spirit through your obedience. You will not strong arm the Spirit through your obedience. And here's what I love about this interaction. Jesus looks at him and says, are you a teacher and you don't understand this? This is dumbfounding to you? You don't really know the Bible that well if this is dumbfounding you. The Lord has never been bound to choose the most obvious choice. The Lord has never been bound to choose the most obvious choice. Think about this. It's always been Abel, not Cain. It's always been Jacob, not Esau. It's always been Leah, not Rachel. It was Ruth the Moabite. It was Rahab the prostitute. It was run of the family David, right? There's nothing new here, Nicodemus. He has always chosen the unexpected. Here's a phrase I would love for you to listen to. It says, the spirit isn't confined to choose the credentialed. The spirit is not confined to choose the credentialed, the ones that look most obvious to all of us. I love the way that Pastor Tim Keller says this. He says, This means everyone must be born again. He says this, it it means that if your life is really messy because of sin, you can be born again. But also, if if your life is really put together and neat, you must be born again. Everyone, everyone must be born again. But I want us now to look a little bit more closely at what Jesus says to Nicodemus. And he's going to tell him that you don't need to just be rebuilt. You need to be reborn. That's our next fill in the blank. Not just rebuilt, reborn. So Jesus says, if you're going to see, if you're going to enter the kingdom of God, it's not going to come by new rules, new religion. It's going to come because of new life. Look back at your Bible one more time, verses 3 and 5. It's really important that we see what he says there. Unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And unless someone is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So a couple of things that we need to see there. One, I think that Jesus is saying that being born again and being born of water and spirit are the same thing. It's a parallel idea. And it seems like Jesus here is referring to a passage in the Old Testament from Ezekiel chapter 36. We're going to see it in just a moment. But a little bit of context for Ezekiel 36. The Lord is coming to the people and he's saying that in spite of your wicked, rebellious hearts, there's going to be a a time coming soon where I'm going to pour out compassion. I'm going to be gracious to all of you in spite of who you really are, in spite of what you've done. So let's read this. I want us to see what I think Jesus is referring to when he's talking in John chapter 3. Ezekiel 36, it says this, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and all your idols. I will 
give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes. Do you hear an echo of Ezekiel 36 in John chapter 3? Do you hear that, what Jesus is grabbing at? Water and spirit. One commentator says this. He says that water and spirit means the cleansing of the old and the creation of the new. The cleansing of the old and the creation of the new. This is what it means. God can cleanse the pollution of sin and he can bring new creation by the spirit. God can cleanse the pollution of sin and he can bring new creation by the spirit. This is describing what the Bible calls regeneration. You may have heard that word before. Regeneration. And it's not, it doesn't mean a little bit of the old and a little bit of the new. What it means is that it's the creation of something completely brand new. I love the way that Martin Luther describes this idea of regeneration. He has a beautiful couple of sentences. He says this, the love of God does not find but creates that which is pleasing to it. The love of man comes into being through that which is pleasing to it. So we're going to start from the bottom and work our way up on this, on this idea. What, the, the love of man comes into being through that which is pleasing. Think about all of the loves in your life. You love the things that you love because they're attractive to you, because they're lovely to you, right? Like I'm not going to yuck your yum when it comes to baseball and uh, Milo's sweet tea. I don't like those things, but I'm not going to yuck your yum. But I'm going to ask you, don't yuck my yum when it comes to sneakers and sushi, right? Okay? We all have these things that we're attracted to, things that we love. And if you were to reverse engineer your love, what you would find about your love is that there was attraction and then there was love. There was attraction and then there was love. So that's the way you find your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your husband or your wife. They were lovely. You looked at them, you're like, you are lovely. I would like to date you. I would like to marry you. Hopefully you didn't say it like that. But um, that's how we reverse engineer. If we were to reverse engineer our love, that's what we would find. But listen, this is what, it's, what he's saying here. Martin Luther is saying to us that you would not reverse engineer the love of God in that same way. You can't reverse engineer it like that. God's love, what it says here is that God's love isn't drawn to us because of our loveliness. God creates loveliness in us. Did you see that? The love of God doesn't find but creates. He comes in and he creates something beautiful. He doesn't look down and go, that's lovely, I've got to have it. What he does is he comes into your life and he creates something lovely. You just think about when we were buying our house, uh, people came and looked at it. There were some wonky things about our house and we had to renovate it a little bit. And so, but people would come in and they, they had this phrase for us. They would say, you know, the bones are good here. You know, this got some great bones. We could can, can do some work with this house. I think that it, it's in a good place. And so what they did was they came in and they helped us build it back up. But friends, that's not a picture. That's not a picture of what regeneration is. That would be a rebuild. What needed to happen to all of us? That's not what happened in us. What had to up, happen in us was not a rebuild. It was a complete new recreation. We needed new life. We didn't need to just be kind of rebuilt a little of the old, a little bit of the new, right? And it's just like what happened to you in your physical birth. Just think about this for a moment. 
And if you think about it, you did nothing to contribute to your physical birth, right? Okay? Your physical birth came about because of the pain and the agony and the difficulty of another person. And that other person was your mom. And she went through all of that difficulty to bring you life, to bring you into this world. And just like your physical birth, so it was with your spiritual birth. It was the pain and the agony of another. It was the pain and agony of Jesus dying on the cross, dying in your place to bring you life. Dying so that he could break sin's penalty, sin's power, and then to prove the reality of salvation, he rose again from the dead in resurrection. And here's what the Bible says in regeneration. This is a good way, the sequence to kind of think about a little bit. The Spirit, through the Word, connects your dead heart by faith to Christ. Let me say it again. The Spirit, in regeneration, the Spirit... Through the word, that's a very important piece. We can't talk about it today, but that's very important. The spirit, through the word, connects your dead heart by faith to Christ. He supernaturally connects you. And the Bible even tells us that that connect, that even what you do, putting faith in in Christ, even that is a gift. The Bible doesn't say that it's like you and the spirit, like you're just hand in hand, you're walking towards salvation. No, the Bible says that Even faith to put in Christ, it's a gift that was given to you. It was by the Spirit, through the Spirit. And this, friends, this is what was so disorienting for Nicodemus. And maybe even for some of you today listening to this, maybe for the first time, it's disorienting for you. He couldn't believe that his credentials would keep him from, or wouldn't get him anywhere with Christ. He couldn't believe that his credentials wouldn't get him anywhere. And he didn't understand that his dead heart had to be removed. It didn't matter if it was a particularly beautiful dead heart. It had to be removed. Heart surgery had to happen. You know, what if I asked you to come over to my, ho- to come over to my house this afternoon? And I said, I, I want to show you around my yard. And we're looking around the yard a little bit. And then I said to you, hey, I want to show you this beautiful apple tree I have in the back of, my, back of my yard. And so you walk around and you look and there is this fantastic pine tree and it's right in front of you. And I have stapled and nailed a bunch of apples to this pine tree. Now your first response might be like, what's the exit strategy? This is a wacko, I need to get out of here. <laughs> like, why did this guy do this? But if I was to say to you, if I was to insist that we start uh, calling this an apple tree, Or if I was so excited to talk to you about all of the apples on the apple tree, what would you say? You would say, you're weird because that's not an apple tree, right? All I've done was I've stapled a bunch of apples to an apple tree. Even if they're red and ripe right now, what's going to happen? Pretty soon, they're going to rot because it's not an apple tree. There's no life there. Friends, this is why we have to be born again. We don't need new hammers, we don't need new staples, we don't need more fruit to toss up on a pine tree. We need to be an apple tree. We need to to get rid of the pine tree and put in a tree that can actually bear fruit for the first time. Nicodemus had a bunch of fruit stapled to a tree and Jesus is, is saying to him, that's not real fruit. There's no life in there. You know, Jesus said 
that the work of the Spirit is like the wind. You can't control it, but you can see the effects of its movement. And that's what transformation, that's what regeneration looks like. When you look at a life that's been regenerated, transformed, you can see the effects of the wind, even if you couldn't control where the wind went to. If you've driven down 119, you know we can see the effects of what wind can do. It comes into our life. This is what uh, it's saying here. There's new affection. New love starts to spring up. I know in in my life, that looked a lot like a longing for the Word of God for the first time. I think I've told you this story before, but when I was in college, every year I was in college, I read the Bible cover to cover. That had never happened in my life. I had not read the Bible almost at all until I got there. And God just started doing this work in me. I read the Bible cover to cover every year in college. And then something dramatic started happening in me. I I started getting convicted of sin almost for the first time. And I started setting up these meetings with people that I went to in high school. And I would sit down, when I go back home to Charlotte, I'd sit down with them and I would say, man, I sinned against you in high school. I want to ask you, please forgive me. I I would say, I'm sure those meetings with those people were awkward for them, right? (laughs) But I knew for me, it, it was obedience. I knew I I had to do that. It was transformative. God's word was transformative for me. I have heard so many of your stories that have been similar to this. When God's word started working in your life, there was dramatic transformation that started happening. And there's a story about this guy named uh, Augustine. He lived a long time ago, 300, in the 300s or something like that. And before he came to Christ, he was incredibly sexually promiscuous. And he wrote a lot about that in his book, Confessions. There's a story about his life, a very powerful story about how he was walking down the road one day. And he passed by a prostitute that he used to go visit. And as he passed by this this lady, he passed by without acknowledging her. And so she thought, he doesn't recognize me. He doesn't know who I am. So she yelled out to him, Augustine, it is I. And without even turning around, he said, yes, but it is not I. What he's describing, what we're describing this morning is rebirth. He was a brand new person. So many of you, a brand new person. It's transformation from the inside out. You know, as we close, I I just want to talk about something that we said at the very beginning, something that I think is going to be encouraging for us to see as we close here about Nicodemus' life. I said at the beginning that some stories, they take a long time to unfold. You know, when Nicodemus first heard the gospel, it it didn't sink in. It didn't make sense. But John talks about Nicodemus a few more times in the book of John. You can go back in chapter 7 and in chapter 19. And in chapter 19, what we see is that these two men go and they take the body of Jesus, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. They're responsible for taking the body of Jesus, wrapping it up, and then putting it in the tomb. And what Mark's account of that whole situation tells us is that they were acting with incredible boldness in that moment. And so it could be, we don't know this, 
We never see in the Gospel of John that Nicodemus had true saving faith. We don't know that, but maybe looking at this moment with Nicodemus, it kind of shows us that there might be the beginnings of actual transformation, true belief in Jesus. And I think one thing that that kind of shows us, it shows all of us Christians, is the incredible patience of God towards all of us, right? How incredibly long-suffering he has been with all of us. Christian, I think one response that all of us should have today as we listen to this text is just to be amazed at the mercy of God. And just think about your life that in spite of your best efforts to run from his love or earn his love, he brought you new life. In spite of your best efforts to run from his love and earn it, he still brought you life. Praise God for his grace to us. And then I also just want to say this. If you're not a Christian and you've been listening to me describing new birth, what that's like, and you're compelled today, you're compelled to want to come to Jesus and repent of your sin and follow him. And it might be that rebirth is for the first time happening and you want to follow Christ. I want to call you right now to do what so many people in this room, you are, this room is filled with people that have just cried out to God and said, God, save me. God, please bring new birth in my life because I can't earn it by my rule keeping. 